The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 54 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to or resort to my current employment. And I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances are presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners, you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So we had a very interesting show last week with cybersecurity legal expert Adriana Sanford. She appears on the show all the time. Everybody knows who she is if you're a regular listener to the show. And I thought the show was very thought-provoking. And, and it, it was really started to emphasize the problem that we have with cybersecurity legislation not only popping up all over the world, right, in many different countries and areas of the globe, but just the cost of compliance for doing business in more than one state across the United States. You know, it's really become an issue that many in-house lawyers are looking to outside counsel to provide help with. And when you, when you tie the cybersecurity nexus to all the multi-jurisdictional conflicts in the world, you can really start to define what the material risks are to your business. And most likely, all those material risks are going to be cybersecurity centric. Uh, that's my best guess. And so, you know, I'm, I'm finding that many of these small businesses don't even pay attention to this stuff, man. They don't, they're not even paying attention, right? They just can't afford to do so, to be honest with you. And I talk to some of these small business owners, some of these startups, and they're like, man, we don't even call the lawyers on it. I mean, we just, you know, we're just winging it. I'm like, wow, that's nuts. You know, but I mean, it's kind of like the reality of things. I mean, they, they just can't afford to pay lawyers $20,000, to create a privacy policy for their company that's compliant with GDPR just because they have an international customer base, let alone implement the controls that ensure compliance, not only with GDPR, but the California Privacy Act and, that, and every other privacy policy or cybersecurity control framework out there. And there's a ton of them, and we've been talking about them on this show over the last few episodes. I mean, God forbid the regulators come knocking. I mean, even the companies with tons of cash like Facebook and others are really struggling and they're really struggling and it's all over the news. So it's difficult time to do business. And I think in order to be successful, you really have to have a CEO that understands business, right? And there's a lot of tech companies out there and I'm seeing these tech startups and even some of these dev shops that be run by these engineers that don't have any idea whatsoever 
about business. They're very sort of single focused on the technology. And I mean all facets of business, folks. I mean, compliance, you know, the legal facets, risk, right, depending on your business. Um, it just, I just see too many CEOs of these small tech companies out there that just seem clueless to me. Quite frankly, it's scary. Um, but when, when someone like Adriana comes on the show and she lays out all the legal and privacy issues around the battle that we're engaging in every single day, right? We're out there pounding every single day. We're at battle stations. It really is a call to arms in a sense that we really have to find a way to consolidate and standardize this legislation as much as possible, just like we do in other things, just like we do with policy and, and, and standards and procedures and there, everything sort of, it's just too much going on. Even though there are many different sectors and critical infrastructures with different products and different consumer bases and different needs to protect their business, there has to be some kind of standardization. We just can't have everybody going off and doing their own thing. It's just really causing chaos and it's costing businesses tons of cash, right? Um, you know, we talk a lot about regulatory harmony, regulatory harmonization. Interesting. And we're going to get into that more in other episodes. But I think it all starts with a comprehensive national cybersecurity strategy that starts, you know, comes down right from the top, right from the White House. And I think that's going to be a topic of another show as well, because uh, I'm time really soon. So in the meantime, to get you thinking about the problem holistically, if you, if you missed last week's show, you can listen to it anytime on playback, wherever you are in the world, folks. And that's the great thing about internet, internet radio. Adriana's always an incredible guest on the show. She attracts a large crowd. We love having her. We can't wait to have her back. That's Adriana Sanford appearing on episode number 53 of Task Force 7 Radio. So if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you a link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 episodes on playback. You can find TF7 Radio on a total of nine different playback mediums, including iTunes.com, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, ListenNotes.com, the show's very own website at TaskForce7Radio.com, and of course, the number one internet radio producer in the world at VoiceAmerica.com. So that's internet talk radio, folks, <laughs> internet talk radio producer in the world at Voice America. So that's nine different options to get your TF7 radio fixed. We're everywhere. You can't miss us. If you Google Task Force 7 Radio, you get all your options. Check us out, folks. TF7 Radio playback at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, please, please, please don't forget to subscribe. And we just love it when you subscribe. And we monitor that a lot, and it, it means a lot to us. So please subscribe, and if you get a chance, to give us a five-star rating. We really appreciate it. If you love the show, if you listen to us all the time, it'd be great to, to hear from you on, the, on one of the ratings on one of the playback mediums. So, look, I, I know how much my audience enjoys the cybercrime domain of cybersecurity. So, we're going to have Mr. Mike Fowler on the show with us tonight. And Mike has a similar background to mine in that he has years of experience working cybersecurity investigations and forensics. And he has trained, you know, foreign and domestic uh, forensic investigators for the U.S. Department of State, the U.S. Secret Service, and the FBI Cyber Division. So he's got a lot of experience in this space. Um, I used to do forensics and investigations uh, all the time, you know, 24-7 with uh, the Secret Service. And um, so I, I do have a lot of experience in this and obviously, you know, working the incident response piece and the forensics investigations, intelligence, and the IR all kind of go together in, this, in the cybersecurity ecosystem. Mike has worked in law enforcement in the private sector, performing cyber investigations 
with the Security Operations Centers for MCI and WorldCom, and he currently helps the organizations implement security incident response programs as the Vice President of Professional Services for one of my favorite companies in the world, DF Labs. So, Mike, welcome to the show. No, thanks for having me, George. Long-time listener, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, to actually sit down and uh, have the opportunity to, to, to pass along some information in the cybersecurity realm, hopefully. Well, I'm glad to have you here because, uh, you know, the audience loves, you know, the cybercrime and the incident response piece of the, you know, all the cybersecurity domains and how that fits in. And we always get a lot of, uh, we get a lot of, we get a lot of good response from our, our listenership when we talk about this stuff, but you were in law enforcement for about 14 years. That's about the same amount of time I was actually. Um, how did you pivot from being a law enforcement professional to a cybersecurity professional? Cause I got to tell you, I get a lot of people on social media reaching out to me. A lot of people in law enforcement saying, Hey, how do I make that transition? You know, how do I pivot my skills? You know, how does that happen? How did it happen for you? No, in for me, uh, at the time, I, I guess it was maybe 96, 97, uh, I was a detective assigned to vice narcotics. And uh, I remember actually pretty vividly, I was, uh, we were doing a search warrant on a house and, you know, you're grabbing dope and uh, baggies and scales and, and that type of stuff. And I remember looking at this uh, PC sitting on a desk and thinking, man, you know, uh, the number one rule in narcotics is follow the money. Uh, you make bigger and better cases as you follow that money. I thought, man, I, I, if I had a way to access that information uh, in a manner that I could submit in court that, that would be uh, of evidentiary value, who knows what kind of cases I could build at this point. So I went back and I spoke to my chief. Uh, Vince Hoyle was his name. Uh, he just retired this year. And I said, look, I, I think that we uh, have a need here. I don't know that it's necessarily a vice narcotics need, but there's a need, and I, I'd like to go ahead and fill that as far as the, this whole computer forensics thing. And he said, I believe in what you're saying, and I will give you the time and, and uh, the resources necessary if you can find something for free. So, you know, that, you know, that's pretty interesting because it all comes out. How far back was that, you, th you think? When, when did that happen? That was, it, I mean, somewhere 95, 96, right, right, 96, right. 97, somewhere in there. Right. So, I mean, so things, so I, I think, you know, guys today are always asking me, how hard is it, right? You have, you have these ideas, you get into this in, in law enforcement, you develop these skills now. How hard is it in general for, in general, right, for law enforcement professionals to utilize the forensic and investigation skills that they develop over years and years now, right, to get a job working in a technology department for a large Fortune 500 company? Well, the thing is, companies realize that the skill set that you develop in law enforcement and, and actually researching those type of crimes and, and making your cases, that transfers pretty easily over to the to the private sector. And companies recognize that. They want, uh, they see the value in the experience that you have, and uh, they embrace that. And, uh, of course, the tenacity that comes with, with being a law enforcement professional. They know that their uh, incidents are going to be able to be worked, worked right the first time, and work completely. So you have experience training law enforcement officers to respond to these major criminal events. And now that you have experience on both sides of the fence, just like, just like I do, do you think law enforcement agencies have the tools and skill sets to respond to these major incidents? George, I think it's, it's a, a, a two-part thing here. Uh, funding and prioritization. Those two things they work hand-in-hand, hand, uh, along with executive buy-in to a certain extent. 
I, I remember somewhere, I, I guess it was around 1999, the uh, International Association of Chiefs of Police Conference was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I remember hearing a chief say, uh, yeah, we don't have any cybercrime. And I thought, <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. Um, I can't, at, at that time, the only crime that I could think of that didn't have a, a, a cyber juxtaposition was a traffic offense. And you know what? We filled that void. So there's no crimes that could not have a cyber uh, uh factor to it at this point in our lives. So uh, everybody has cybercrime to some extent. And uh, so it, I guess uh, what we're looking at now is being able to prioritize that. You know, um, do I need an, uh, a new squad car or do we send a guy out for some additional forensic training and get him a new computer? Uh, the federal government has stepped in uh, and really done a good job as far as, uh, I guess, uh, augmenting the resources for local and state. And uh, they realize, look, uh, this is a, a real factor. It's cross-border, and we need to make sure that we have those professionals ready to respond to those. So I think, you know, back in the, you know, you say you, you started forensics back in the, in the late 90s, and I think in the, the mid-2000s, you know, companies caught on to where the talent is and where the, the skill cap was in their workforces. And I think many skilled law enforcement officers have really left public service to enter the corporate world. A lot of them have made that transition. But in some agencies, and we talked about this with Paul Jackson on another show uh, a few weeks ago, I feel it's caused an internal talent crisis that not only puts the agency at risk of not being able to accomplish their mission, but the massive financial loss of losing all that talent. Like they, they've spent millions of dollars in training I mean, with these people, I mean, it's a total disaster of monumental proportions that really never gets talked about. In your estimation, how big of a problem really is this for these agencies? No, no, I think it's significant. And I think it expands just beyond their cybersecurity uh, and cybercrime investigations capabilities to, to agencies as a whole. Um, the nice thing is uh, the federal government is willing to step in and augment that. Think about uh, we have the, the Human Exploitation Rescue Operative or the HERO program that's coordinated by ICE. This takes uh, wounded and ill special operations veterans put them, puts them through like a year-long program. They do, uh, I think it's 11 and a half months at this point. Train them up on what is child exploitation, what is their role in finding them, giving them all of the technical uh, training that they need in order to be successful within that arena and sets them loose so that they can augment local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies. I mean, the problem is real. It, it is of monumental proportions. I agree 100%. But there are steps being taken, and, and I think that, uh, that we're doing the best we can with what we have at this point. And, and I'm grateful for things like the HERO program that helps augment us. You know, what's interesting to me, too, is that local law enforcement officers just aren't interested in things like identity theft. When people, you know, that's all a part of cybercrime and everything that goes on in the cyber underworld. And if you, go, if you walk into a local law enforcement uh, shop and you say, Hey, look, I've been a victim of identity. Okay. Here's the report, you know, fill you know, fill out this form. They file a report and then, you know, you get a copy for whatever you need. And if you want, you know, if you want to talk to the credit unions or whatever, I mean, I don't feel like they understand like what even to do with that information. Like they don't understand, like this is one minor event of maybe thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that are being victimized by the same organization and that all this information should be, you know, being fed into one central place where somebody in, in, uh, in, in, in federal law enforcement is either investigating this directly or indirectly, really, um, because it's not only identity theft, but it's, you know, card fraud and you know, the, the 
fake passports. I mean, all kinds of things that they're doing uh, in these shops. So I just feel like that they're at a loss. And when I look at the bad guys, it makes me want to you know how sophisticated do you think the bad guys are in these days? And we always talk about how, you know, they're getting more sophisticated every day and they're collaborating every day. I mean, are we eventually going to win this battle? Whew, what a great question. Um, I think there's always going to be uh, wolves out there and we're always going to need some sheepdogs in order to take care of that. And uh, considering the skill level, there are some really skilled bad guys out there. So timeliness, being able to respond to that in a time it, it is obviously one of the critical elements of that. Um, I'll tell you, uh, information as far as intelligence sources, things. When I was at WorldCom, we were getting beat up by the Russians. They, if there was a, an open proxy anywhere in the company, they would pile in and use it. And it was simply for financial gain. So I was able to identify a, a Russian guy. And I said, look, we have a lot of this old hardware here, which was new hardware for them at that time. I said, I got a lot of this old hardware here. If you keep me in the, in the loop as far as what resources we have that are being talked about on these hacker, what uh, the Russian hacker message boards, I'll make sure that you get paid off in hardware. And I did that for probably 18 months and it was the most successful program we ran there. Uh, they let us know and he let us know anytime that uh, there was a WorldCom resource involved in something and I would send him a, a hard drive or I would send him um, a, a DAT drive, something of that nature. He loved it, I loved it, it and it was a win-win. So uh, there are techniques that we can use that we're using in traditional law enforcement that uh, we're able to transfer over and, and use in a cybercrime uh, arena as well. So we're running long, but I, I want to squeeze this question into this segment. I mean, I know that people, the average person walks around every day and, you know, I feel like there's some nation states out there and it's been in the news. Obviously, we talked a lot about on this show in a few different episodes in, relative, in relation to China and what they do and in the, in the, in the billions of dollars of IP theft every year that occurs with them and what they do with this technology and what they do with the money and devaluating our currency and the whole, basically the whole uh, threat to uh, the United States that goes along with all of those things and all those issues that are happening at the same time. So how much of a concern are nation state attacks to the average Joe that's walking around the United States that listens to this show because they're curious about these threats, these cyber attacks uh, that we're talking about every day, but and, and what, what, how those threats pose a risk to, to their everyday lives, right? So in a sense, like, the, you know, the average person walks around and they don't really, I don't think, understand the risk that's there in terms of cybersecurity uh, and nation state threats and attacks. What say you about that? Yeah, I think, uh, consider the FARC in, in Colombia, for example. They use the proceeds of narcotics to fund an entire war for years and years and years. Now, think about... Uh, being able to steal 40 million credit cards at this point. How much uh, terrorism could you actually fund with 40 million? And that, that's, that's called a Tuesday in cybercrime. So uh, being able to, to actually uh, apply, you know, they stole my credit card grade. Uh, the, the credit card company pays for it. They'll send me a new one. But it's a much larger problem than that. And being able to, to do things, if I'm going to invade a country, for example, well, I could shut down the power grid before I send in the first troop, and I have crippled that country. Think about the, the, the hurricane relief from Michael just a little mm -hmm. bit ago. So uh, being able to uh, actually leverage that, uh, I think, is a concern for every single person uh, as it is a, a larger uh, microcosm of, of the cybercrime problems. So, Mike, we have to take a little time to go to commercial break. 
and we'll be right back to pick your brain about SOAR technologies. I want to hear what, what you have to say about SOAR. And we've had a, a couple conversations about that on Task Force 7 Radio, but this is an emerging technologies that I think are really going to help people in terms of responding to incidents. And I think, especially if you're involved in incident response or operations, really, in any, any, any sense whatsoever in cybersecurity, you're going to find the next couple segments really interesting. So if, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio for any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests as well as other business communications. Please email me directly at george.redis at taskforce7radio.com. That's george.redis at taskforce7, that's with the number seven, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much needed and much awaited for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the Vice President of Professional Services for DF Labs, Michael Fowler. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. 
If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, Vice President of Professional Services for DF Labs, Mike Fowler. So, Mike, we were talking in the first segment a little bit about uh, SOAR and, and uh, that new technology that a lot of uh, SOCs are implementing uh, to, to automate their incident response. So, tell us in your own words, what is SOAR and why should people care about SOAR? Uh, um, I, not to oversimplify it, but uh, SOAR's basically got four components to it. Um, it has to have some type of a workflow engine, of course. That's part of the security orchestration and automated response. Uh, it needs to have a case management component. I mean, it, uh, it, one of the, the things is applying that workflow engine to uh, appropriate case management. And it has to have, of course, orchestration, automation capabilities. And uh, just as important as the other three parts is a threat intelligence management. I mean, the the force multiplication of a threat intelligence engine can't, can't be understated. Uh, being able to learn from other people's investigations uh, in order to apply it to your own uh, incidents uh, is is valuable beyond compare. So it all seems commonsensical, but I think it's a lot more uh, difficult than one would imagine, you know, actually putting this technology together to make it work. But uh, DF Labs has done so. But if if, if I say, you know, I'm going I'm to go ahead and implement SOAR, is this going to take the place of humans? Yeah, I've heard that before, and really what it does is it gives you back your time. The most valuable resource isn't your hardware, it's not software. Your most valuable resource is your time, and it gives you back that time by automating the tasks that, that are time-consuming or automating that uh, information gathering that, that takes so much time, especially at the beginning stages of an incident. Uh, so it, it's more in the realms of giving you back your time, and that's how I would say the big draw for SOAR is. All right. Well, let's talk about big drawers here. Like, like, let's talk about value proposition. If I if I want to implement SOAR technology, what are the biggest benefits to integrating this type of technology into an existing infrastructure? Hey, George, I'll tell you the way that we run it. What uh, our priorities are. We want to leverage your existing technologies and resources to the fullest potential. If I come in and I say, "Oh yeah, uh, well we have these five different parts that are going to replace everything in your infrastructure that you've worked on for all these years." Well, I'm not being a force multiplier for you. I'm not making things better. But if I come in and say, look, we're going to take your existing technologies, your existing infrastructure, your existing personnel, and we're going to show you how to leverage them in the best manner possible in order to get the job done, that is true SOAR technology. Now, there's three elements that we address right out of the box. Uh, We grab SIM and threat intelligence and make it actionable. We automate that prioritization of incidents and we're able to allow you to more rapidly respond to, to those critical incidents. So a lot of people out there, especially operations guys like myself, they, they're wondering, okay, you know, what, 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 are the, what are the hurdles in doing something like this? I mean, you're very familiar with this technology. This is your business. You know, what hurdles could someone expect when they're implementing this sort of technology? What's the straight scoop? Two things that I see consistently. The first is people don't really understand what sort technology is. They think, oh, they're trying to replace humans. Think of it like AI. If I say, uh, oh, yeah, we uh, leverage artificial intelligence. If I say that to 10 different people, I'm going to have 10 different definitions of what makes up artificial intelligence. It's the same with SOAR. It's just educating yourself on, on what that means. And the second is 
some organizations uh, have a tendency to be siloed. Uh, this is my fiefdom, and if you want to come over into my fiefdom, I want to have exposure to what you're doing, uh, which, uh, of course, uh, SOAR technologies will allow, multi-user allow uh, that, that single pane of glass so that all of your uh, individuals who are associated with the incident response process are able to see what's going on any time. So you mentioned force multiplication uh, a couple of times. What does that mean to the incident response professional? I mean, if you're an IR analyst or an IR ops person, what does force multiplication mean? If, uh, let's, let's take a look at uh, force multiplication in the military. It's a military term. So if I'm a soldier and I'm fighting another soldier and we shoot back and forth, that's a one-on-one -on -one situation. But if I'm a soldier and I got a hand grenade, that hand grenade makes me a much powerful soldier than the other guy. So, and that's what SOAR does. It, it doesn't take the place of a person, it just makes them much more powerful. So at the beginning stages of, a, of an incident, of course, you have a lot of information that you have to gather, but what if that information could have been gathered before you even were aware an incident was there? That's the force multiplication part. Uh, not being sure, oh, what do I do next? Well, having a step-by-step -step process that you can work through that's vetted, that's been uh, gone over time and again to be successful, available to you right in front of you. You can just follow it step by step. That's force multiplication. And is that configurable? A hundred percent. The thing is, every organization is going to be different. So being able to uh, configure those or to uh, make it where it's uh, specific for your particular, and it could be a vertical for the medical field, for the finance field, it, it is critical and is a part of, uh, of any responsible source. So you've been in the business of incident response now for quite a long time, as we were talking about in the first segment. In general, what are the biggest pain points you see in this space? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of crazy. The, we have a lot of information coming in from a lot of different resources. And, and you touched on this before about how do we get all this information, how do we take that traffic ticket that was written here and associate that with a bank robbery that happened a block away? How, how do we put all that information together? And that's where SOAR technology comes in. It actually can come in. Uh, we offer a correlation engine where you can do a visual associational link analysis between not only previous incidents that you've worked, but threat intelligence that may or may not be a part of the incident that you're working. So aside from this correlation analysis, what other, uh, I guess, pain points does SOAR technologies actually mitigate when I'm talking about incident response here? And I think, you know, my understanding is that this, it's several, right? This is like a, a multi-pronged uh, mitigation tool, an automation tool. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but what, 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 what does it really solve here? Well, I'm going to tell you what we do. Um, we make sure that we're giving you the, the full uh, SOAR as it's outlined within uh, Gartner's um, uh, definition of a SOAR. Uh, we implement full dual-mode orchestration. What I mean by that is it's not only that checklist that I talked about before, but it also addresses some conditional factors. Hey, if this comes back as positive and threat intelligence, I want you to do this, else I want you to do that. We're the only uh, product that does that. We leverage, uh, through automated responder knowledge, the ability to look at how you successfully resolved previous incidents and offer you those choices when new incidents come up. So if you work an incident and 90% uh, of the time you check uh, the A record for a particular domain, great, we're gonna offer that to you at the beginning of the incident so that it's ready, willing, and waiting for you. And of course, uh, 
being able to offer those type of features at, at a competitive price is critical. So, Mike, the solution space right now is sort of out of control. There's new technologies popping up all the time. I mean, trying to sort it out. How about all these new technologies? I mean, these, these companies are, are buying them, they're implementing them, they're getting the production. You know, is there a way to expedite incorporating these, incorporating these new technologies into SOAR products? Absolutely. And it's funny you should mention that, and I hope I'm not talking out of turn, but um, with, uh, at the end of this month, we're introducing our open framework, which is going to allow each of our customers who, uh, we have customers who have, and I'm, I'm doing the finger quotes here, specialized technologies, uh, these are government customers, that uh, they don't necessarily want to expose the API in order to communicate uh, with that to, to a vendor. So we uh, are implementing an open framework, which is going to allow uh, our customers who not only have the, the more mainstream technologies, your, your uh, McAfee's, your Palo Alto's, but the more specialized technologies where they can just incorporate those and uh, immediately start using them inside of uh, their security orchestration. So I'm a big believer in DF Labs, and I usually don't get very vendor-specific on this show, but I want to ask you this question because uh, I, I, just, I just love the product, and I know the answer to the question but, and because I'm, uh, I've done a lot of research on the product, obviously, um, being a sponsor of the show, but I, I want to know what makes DF Labs' solution different than these other sort of technologies that are available in space? The thing is, we hit the areas – we're – in close communication with our customers. We've been in this business uh, quite some time and we want to make sure that uh, the lessons that we learn from our customers, and I got to be honest, they are some of the most innovative folks I have ever worked with. Uh, they are doing things with Inkman, which is our, our SOAR product, Inkman, that uh, I didn't even envision, uh, especially when it comes in the threat intelligence realm. Uh, threat intelligence is, of course, a huge uh, component of a successful IR program. Uh, the dual mode orchestration, is critical and we are the only vendor who offers a dual mode. So some vendors offer uh, complete and hundred percent automation. I don't know that, that our customers or that the market is, is mature enough in order to embrace that. Uh, so we offer them the playbooks, the step-by-step -step, uh, process that they can go through leveraging machine learning. Now this is uh, not AI when we're not a machine learning company, but we want to make sure that the successful things that you did in the past, are immediately available to you for future incidents. That way you're not running around trying to figure out, well, how did, what did we work that ransomware incident last time? What did we do in order to successfully resolve that? That's going to be offered to you immediately at the start of the incident. And of course, uh, price. Uh, we want to make sure, when I first started working for DF Labs, I asked uh, our president and CEO, what, what is our philosophy? And he said, I want all of our customers at the end of the day to go, wow, look at all the value we got for the price. And it, that sold me right there. I immediately came on. So look, Dario's been a, he's built a great shop over there. I mean, you guys are, are really kicking butt and I see the product maturing uh, very rapidly all the time. And, and I'm just a big fan of DF Labs and what you guys do. I don't take on just any sponsor for this show. Um, so my listenership knows that I'm very selective about who sponsors this show. And uh, you know, if you have, if you don't know about DF Labs, I'm, you hear about it all the time. Uh, during commercial breaks, but if you don't know about DF Labs, folks, check them out. They got some really cool stuff going on. Mike, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from the Vice President of Professional Services for DF Labs, Mike Fowler. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, Vice President of Professional Services for DF Labs, Mike Fowler. So, you know, Mike, one of the things we talk about a lot here is the talent crisis. There's a huge focus on it. I think it's one of the biggest challenges we have in the cybersecurity space right now. Uh, we mention it almost every show. Uh, can you expound on how using SOAR technologies can help with the massive skilled labor shortages out there that we're seeing? Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest issues that we're facing, not only in the, the public sector, but the private sector as well, is exactly what you said. How do we uh, how do we take the, the individuals that we're using now and increase their skill while simultaneously they still have to be answering alarms? I mean, there still has to be an investigation going on, but how do we improve that? And I think sometimes this knowledge transfer, um, I like to refer to it as tribal knowledge. Uh, it takes a back seat to actually get in there and getting your investigations done. Um, and I think as we uh, are working incidents, as these threats evolve, we have to be able to, to evolve our response capabilities. Um, and we have to do that through training. Now, it has to be training built upon 
uh, knowledge application. And what I mean by that is how was it used? I don't want a bunch of anecdotal information about uh, how it should be done. I want to know how you did do it in order to be successful. And this is a, a key component of, a, of an effective sort. You know, it's interesting because, you know, Mike Higgins was on a few weeks ago and he was talking about the uh, different cybersecurity control frameworks that are out there, um, like NIST and uh, ISO 27001 and, uh, you know, we've mentioned a few others and he's talked about specifically how they're geared towards different parts of the cybersecurity ecosystem, whether it's, you know, detection or prevention or response and recovery and, and this whole this whole ecosystem that we have here that we're trying to put you know, we're trying, when we, we talk about budgets, we're trying to fund each one, each part of this ecosystem because it's important not just to be able to prevent it, but to be able to detect it and to investigate it, respond to it. And so I kind of see this as, you know, uh, very, very interesting in terms of, obviously, this is in the response piece of the eco ecosystem. But what's the deal? I mean, I see there's a lot of socks out there that are implementing this technology, but it's not commonplace yet. So why aren't we seeing this as a critical part of every SOC operation right now in every, every company? That's a great question. And it, it, I think being able to apply those different frameworks, uh, I think there are three key core elements to, to, to all of that when it comes to knowledge transfer. And uh, the, the process and procedure that you do, it has to be repeatable, it has to be defensible, and it has to be consistent. So. Being able to incorporate those three things, regardless of what framework that you're using, is going to be is going to be critical. Now, why isn't it a part of, of fundamental SOC operations? Uh, training is typically not a chief consideration when it comes to, to spending our valuable dollars. Um, sometimes it's difficult to gauge the ROI. You know, it, we're we're very ROI focused, and uh, if you folks think, oh, it's all about the cybersecurity, and oh, look look at what could happen, it's about ROI, and being able to gauge that ROI uh, for a trained versus a non-trained person, it's difficult to actually sit down and do. And there are alternatives to a formalized training process. Um, the, the problem with that is it tends to be a dumping grounds and there's no real impact on your daily operations, not, not of a positive nature anyway. So we talked about some of the challenges. We talked about some of the things that sort mitigates when we implement this type of technology. But what should be the realistic goals of an incident response team when they're thinking about rolling out a sword technology in their company? Yeah, I think uh, it, we can pretty much break that down into uh, four different areas. The first is it has to be cost effective. Um, nothing's going to be implemented unless it's cost effective. Um, it must provide the teams with the opportunities to build upon the knowledge that they already have. Now this can be developing new skills, enriching different areas of the organization. And I'm not talking about just specifically instant responders, but how about the legal folks who are involved in the IR process or uh, the HR people who are involved in that? They, they need to be part of this knowledge transfer as well. It has to be able to promote, uh, support and, and leverage technological resources and tools that you have to improve those workflows. So incorporating the tools that you have into this knowledge transfer is critical. And finally, uh, you have to be able to provide your leadership uh, with a, some type of a, a, a return on that investment that shows, look, uh, we have raised up, uh, our organizational succession efforts have been done and uh, there is true value associated with this. Can you get even more specific? Can you give me some more examples of leveraging a SOAR platform to accomplish this? Because there was a, there was a lot that we just went over there. I just kind of want to dig down a little bit deeper into uh, into some of the, that value proposition. 
Gotcha. Yeah, there's uh, five things that I, I concentrate on when putting this uh, the knowledge transfer together. And the first is making sure that it's put together for your audience, uh, having some focused curriculum, designate the appropriate delivery method. And there's there's automated and manual. And with a SOAR product, you can leverage either one. And what I mean by that is uh, inside of SOAR, we talked briefly about our dual mode orchestration and uh, the playbooks that are there, even for a beginning organization, you're, you're uh, elevating your organization from using Excel spreadsheets uh, in some type of a ticketing system to, to a true SOAR platform that's going to provide you those four elements that we talked about before. Well, uh, we can include playbooks that are put together, and we provide over 100 playbooks to our customers right out of the box. So uh, being able to have those playbooks that cover everything from uh, I have a Unix server that's been compromised to I lost my cell phone on the train, what do I do now? And making them easy to customize for each organization so that your uh, processes and procedures can be incorporated into that and made available. That is the capability to pass on that tribal knowledge from uh, more experienced operators to less experienced. You know, I know Dario comes from the similar background as we do. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a long, former law enforcement officer fighting the good fight. And I think, you know, it certainly comes out in, in the product over here at DF Labs. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show and answering my questions. I know you're busy and I know you're, you know, you're out there. <laughs> you know, you've got a lot of customers to talk to, but I would appreciate you coming on here and talking about this because I think a lot of people are going to find this really interesting. Now, Joe, always a pleasure and I appreciate you having me. All right, folks, we've run out of time once again. Before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 